Well, Happy New Year. Isn't there something about Labor Day weekend that just feels like a new beginning? It feels like a new start. You know, when you turn the calendar page over from August to September, for those of you who still use like actual paper calendars, or otherwise your uh, calendar app automatically switches you over from August to September, it feels like a new opportunity, right, to decide who we want to be and how we want to live in the year ahead. And last year, Pastor, or last week, sorry, Pastor Jeff was here and he left us with a question that we could turn to in situations where we're tempted to uh, get back at somebody who's wronged us, right? If you're here, you, you remember this. It's, he left us with a question for times that we're dealing with conflict and trying to decide how to navigate it. And the question that he left us with was this, what is the story that you want to tell? What is the story that you want to tell? When you're telling your friends and your family members about the situation, when you're reflecting back on the situation years down the road, do you want to tell a story about making sure that somebody got what was coming to them? Or do you want to tell a story about redemption and about forgiveness and about God doing the impossible to transform people and situations? It's a good question. It's a good uh, question to help us as we navigate challenging circumstances that we sometimes find ourselves in. And as I've been chewing on that question over the last week, it actually kind of struck me that it's also a good question to ask ourselves as we transition into new seasons. Because each and every day, you and I make decisions. We make decisions about how we spend our time, about what we give priority in our lives. And often in the moment, those decisions seem inconsequential, right? It doesn't seem like they're really that big of a deal, but when you add them all together, they determine what kind of story we're going to tell with our lives. They determine the impact that we're going to have on the world and on the people around us. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about three things that move us forward in the life that God calls us into. Three things that he says matter more than anything else. Three things that align us with God's purposes and propel us forward so that we can live good stories with our lives. And those three things, some of you will be familiar with this, those three things are faith, hope, and love. He talks about these three things in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a familiar passage, right? I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. It's Paul's famous chapter on love. It's that passage of scripture that we often hear read at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy, right? You know the one. You know the one. But when Paul was writing this letter, his goal wasn't actually to give us good material for wedding ceremonies. Believe it or not. It wasn't. He was actually giving correction to a church in a place called Corinth for some of the ways that they had gone off course from how God was calling them to live. The church in Corinth had gone off the rails in all kinds of ways. They were dealing with conflict and division. The poor were being treated as second-class citizens. 
there was immorality that was going on that would make even Jerry Springer blush. <laughs> if you're like 30 or over, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Can't tell you how much time I spent trying to figure out how to sneak into uh, the TV room when my parents weren't noticing to watch Jerry Springer as a kid. And so <laughs> all this was going on, and uh, people were ranking each other. They were assigning value to people based on their spiritual gifts. So they were giving status to people who had flashier spiritual gifts, and they were looking down on everyone else. And so Paul steps in, and he offers them some correction. Right? He says, all of these gifts, they come from the same spirit, and you're all a part of the same body. You need to work together. And then he goes on to say that love is more important than any of it. It's a bigger deal than any of the spiritual gifts, right? Because the gifts are only actually gifts if they're fueled by love and if they're used to build up the body of Christ. And then he says something uh, really interesting. In chapter 13, verse 8, he says this. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a, a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And it's very poetic language, right? But what Paul is essentially saying is this. Everything we experience right now is partial and incomplete. Even the good stuff, even the God stuff. On this side of heaven, we see things imperfectly, like a blurry reflection in a mirror of what's to come. But one day, we'll see God face to face and we'll know him as fully as we are known by him. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. We'll know him as fully as we're known by him and everything in that moment will be put into its proper perspective. And then Paul says this, and now these three things remain. And other translations uh, translate that to say these, there's three things that will last forever, or these three things abide. And the sense here is that there are three things that will kind of carry us forward from where we are right now into eternity. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I love how the message translates this passage, uh, Eugene Peterson says, for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. Trust steadily, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. Now, in Corinthians, Paul is really emphasizing the centrality of love. It almost kind of seems out of place for him to pull in faith and hope in this section of Scripture. 
But if you look throughout the New Testament, you'll find that these three virtues come up together again and again in Paul's writings and also in other uh, books of the New Testament. And we don't have time to look at all of the different passages, but I am going to have them go up on the screen because it would be awesome if you would uh, look them up this coming week and just pay attention, just notice how these virtues are given so much important, uh, importance in Scripture and how they often go hand in hand in the New Testament writings. Um, school starting this week, right? So this is homework. and back into homework mode here. But it's kind of like Paul just can't help himself. But he can't help himself from pulling in faith and hope as he calls the Corinthian church towards love. These three things lead our lives forward into the fullness of God's kingdom, and they give shape and they give meaning to the stories of our lives. Faith, hope, and love. Now, those are words that we use a lot, aren't they? They're words that make us feel good. They're words that kind of give us the warm fuzzies, right? You might, also, uh, you might almost get the impression that Paul wrote this section of uh, 1 Corinthians when he was walking through like a gift store. He just, just jotted down the first three words he saw cross-stitched onto pillows, you know? But he didn't. That's not what happened. These three words had a really deep and real meaning for Paul. And even though we use these words a lot, if we're honest, I don't know that we spend a whole lot of time thinking about what they really mean or what it would look like to have them actually worked out in practice in our lives. In a world that's so full of anxiety and fear and desperate attempts to chase after security and things like wealth and status, what would it look like? to be people who live with a deep sense of faith. Think about that. What would it look like? In a world that's full of hopelessness and despair and cynicism, what would it look like to be people who just always are able to, to hold on to hope? In a world that's full of judgment and hatred and division, what would it look like to be people whose lives are defined and shaped by love? It would change everything, wouldn't it? It would change the world. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at each of these big abstract words and talking about what they really mean and what it looks like to live them out in practice. And to make it really practical, at the end of each of these messages, we're going to have some of our leaders here at Evergreen, some of our deacons and our elders, uh, come up to the front and have a conversation, and they're going to share some of their experiences and perspectives. And so I'm excited for you to be able to hear from some different voices and kind of how they make this real in their lives. So that's going to be coming too. Okay, so to start off this morning, we're going to be talking about faith. And faith is one of those words that uh, can mean all kinds of different things. Right, depending on who you talk to. We all bring baggage to the idea of faith, ideas about faith that we've kind of picked up along the way. So how would you define faith? Think about that for a second. What does faith mean? How would you explain it to somebody, somebody who doesn't know Jesus if they asked you? The Oxford Dictionary defines faith 
this way. It says that faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And I like that definition because it kind of strips away the religious associations that come with the word and it highlights the reality that we can put our faith into all kinds of things other than God. We all turn to different things for, to, to find that sense of security in our lives. Right? Sometimes we put our faith into our wealth or in our uh, relationships or sometimes we put our faith in the government. Whether you are a Christian or not, right? we all have these things that we look to to just give us a sense of confidence that things are going to be okay, that we're going to be okay. And the dictionary definition actually fits really well with the way that scripture talks about faith as well. The Greek word that gets translated into faith or belief in our English translations of the Bible really just means trust. That's what it means. It means trust. Faith is trusting that God is who he says that he is that he's good, that he's powerful, that he's faithful. It's trusting that God is everything he revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ. Faith is trusting that God is with us, that he loves us, that he's working in us and through us in every situation that we face every day. And faith is trusting that God keeps his promises that he'll follow through on everything that he's promised to us in scripture. So that's, that's a pretty good definition right there. Faith is trusting that God is who he says he is. It's trusting that God is with us. And it's trusting that God keeps his promises. Thinking about faith uh, in terms of trust is helpful, I think, because trust is a relational word. And faith is always about our relationship with God, right? Think about all of the uh, metaphors that scripture gives us to think about how we live out our faiths. Faith, it's like uh, he, he, the scripture uses um, the example of us being like sheep, right? And God is like our shepherd. Scripture says that we are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, right? And Jesus is the bridegroom. We are like children, and God's our father. Faith is always relational. It's about learning to trust the God who loves us and is faithful to us and living our lives in light of that reality. And think about the people in your life who you really trust. How did that trust grow? How did it develop? by being vulnerable with them, right, and having them show you care, acceptance, by having them show up for you when you needed them, right? A kid doesn't learn to trust his parents by trying really hard to convince himself that he should trust his parents, right? Or by reading over their qualifications, reviewing their resumes. It's not how it works, right? A child learns to trust his parents as they do life together, by coming to his parents with needs and experiencing their care and their provision. It's like having mom whip out a granola bar, right, when you're hungry, or bandage up a scraped knee. It's 
yelling for help when you're scared in the middle of the night and having dad come in and check under the, mon- under the bed, right, for monsters. Our faith in God grows as we do life together with him. As we let go of all of our desperate attempts to control everything, and as we learn to trust God to provide for us and to care for us. Hebrews uh, chapter 11 is one of the most well-known and powerful passages in scripture that focuses on faith. Right? A lot of you are probably familiar. It's a really well-known passage. And in it, the author gives example after example of what faith looks like when it gets worked out in real life. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with, uh, in it with me now to Hebrews chapter 11. And throughout chapters 1 to 10 of the book of Hebrews, the author, uh, we don't actually know who the author is in this case, but the author walks us through why Jesus is higher and greater and more superior than anything or anyone else. It's higher than the angels and Moses and the law. He's above all of it. And then the author wraps up this, uh, I'm, that's not, that doesn't make sense. There we go. <laughs> Jesus is, as he says, uh, the radiance of God's glory. Think about that. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so on that basis, he encourages his readers to keep their eyes on Jesus and to keep moving forward in faith, even though they were going through difficult times and persecution. And that's the context for this passage uh, on the heroes of faith. So let's have a look at chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So faith, he says, essentially is having confidence that God is going to keep his promises. It's about having this assurance that comes with knowing that God is on the move, like even when we can't see it. Then verse three says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Did you catch that? See what's going on here? The author wants to remind us that each and every day, we live our lives in this world that was created by God. That even though we can't see God himself, everything that we can see was created by God and is evidence of his power and his provision. And then throughout the rest of this chapter, the author gives all of these examples of people from the Old Testament who acted by faith. And again, we're not going to go through each of the examples, but I want to encourage you this week to, to take the time to do this, to actually pull out this chapter and to walk through it. It's a really beautiful and powerful section of scripture. He talks about Abel and how by uh, faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than his brother Cain. He talks about Noah and how Noah built the ark in faith, even though his neighbors thought he was bananas, right? Even though there was no sign that rain was coming, he trusted what God had told him and he acted on it. He talks about Abraham, 
who packed everything up and left his home when God called him to, even though he didn't know where he was actually going. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just packing everything up and going, just being obedient to God, not even knowing where you're going? He talks about Isaac and Jacob and Moses. He gives example after example of what it looks like when faith is worked out in the real lives of real people. And in each one of these examples, there are two things that really kind of stand out. Okay, two things that kind of just jump out in each and every one of these situations. The first one's this. Faith always compels action. Always compels action. It's impossible to have faith in Christ and to just continue on with life as usual. You can't just sprinkle a little bit of faith onto the rest of your life. That's just not how it works. It changes things. Has anyone here ever done a trust fall? Anyone? Yeah, some of you here. If, we didn't have, if I didn't have concerns about liability, I would like bring one of, one of you up here, probably John up here, to have you do it now. But it's probably not a good idea. But you don't do a trust fall by standing backwards on a ledge and just working yourself up to believing that the people behind you would catch you if you fell, right? That's not how a trust fall works. You have to actually fall. You have to let go of control and actually do something right, that requires you to place your life in the hands of other people. Real faith always compels action. It empowers us to actually live differently as we place our lives in the hands of the God who made us and loves us and sustains us. And the second thing that stands out about each one of these examples is that faith always plays the long game. In verse 13, the author points out that all of these people died before the promises that God had made to them had actually been fulfilled. Think about that. They never got to see the promises being fulfilled. Jesus hadn't arrived yet. But they believed in God's promises and they saw, he, they saw their fulfillment, the fulfillment of these promises coming, like in the distance. They trusted God. They trusted God and they understood that their lives fit into this bigger story of redemption that God was working out over history and that their faithfulness mattered, even if they didn't get to experience the fulfillment of God's promises in their own lifetime. It mattered. Now, I like immediate results. Do you guys like results? We like to know that when we're doing something tough, it's only going to be a matter of time before we get to the other side, right? And we experience the results of, it, of that, the fruit of that. But faith changes our perspective as it allows us to see our lives as part of this bigger story of redemption and restoration. So that even when we suffer, even when we don't get the results that we're looking for, we can have peace in knowing that even then, God is working things out for the good of those who love him, right? As, as Paul promises in Romans 8, verse 28. 
And then the author wraps up this section uh, in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. So we're going to read that. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you know anyone who's been growing weary or losing heart in their faith? Maybe it's you. Maybe you've been finding yourself in that place lately. We're living in a time when a lot of people are growing weary, and are losing heart in their faith, whether it's because of the challenges that we've been experiencing over the last few years, or because of the ways that the church and the church leaders have failed to uh, represent Jesus, or for other reasons, all kinds of reasons, right? There's a lot of weariness in the world around us. And what does the author encourage us to do when we find ourselves getting weary and losing heart? Look at verse 2. He tells us to fix our eyes on who? Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith. There's a lot to be distracted by, a lot to be discouraged by in our world. There are all kinds of things that can pull us away from telling the stories that we want to tell with our lives. But when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, it gives us clarity. Reminds us what our faith is actually all about. And it gives us a new lens to see the rest of the world through. Where our lives are part of this bigger story of God bringing about his healing and his redemption in the world. And regardless of what we've got going on, regardless of what we're dealing with, we can trust that God's got it. We can trust that God is who he says he is. We can trust that he's with us. We can trust that he always keeps his promises. And as our faith grows, there are two really like mind-blowing, life-changing, powerful things that I think God invites us into. Rest and risk. Faith allows us to experience God's rest, rest of the soul. Doesn't that sound good? Could you use some rest in your soul? It allows us to experience a kind of inner peace, even in the midst of chaos, because we know that it's not up to us to run the world. It's good news, friends. It's not up to us, right? God's got it, and we can trust that God's taking care of us. The Jewish rhythm of time actually reflects this. The Jewish, uh, in Jewish culture, the day doesn't start when the sun rises. It actually starts when the sun sets. The day starts with sleep. It starts with rest. The rhythm of time serves as a reminder that God's always on the move, 
day and night, when we're asleep and when we're awake. And when we wake up in the morning, we just get to join him in what he's already been up to while we've been resting all cozy in our beds. Faith allows us to experience the rest of God. And faith empowers us to take risks. Because we know that we're drawing on a power that's bigger than ourselves. And that whether we succeed or whether we fail, that God's going to be there, holding us and guiding us forward. And when we talk about having risk-taking faith, one of the mistakes that I think we often uh, make is framing it in terms of those really big, like, sell all your belongings and move across the world to become a missionary kinds of risks. Right? And there, there are times in our lives where God does call us to things that are big and scary and that kind of like turn our lives upside down. But not usually every day. It's really often in the normal day-to-day small risks uh, that seem inconsequential that our faith gets worked out. Those things that don't really seem to matter in the moment, but that can make a big difference, that can really change the trajectory of our lives and the lives of people around us. Often it's just sending that text message. It's offering someone forgiveness. It's being vulnerable about our struggles and asking for help. Stuff that seems really small that makes a big difference. Here's a good question to ask yourself uh, every morning. What would I do differently today if I really trusted in God? How would I live differently today? What would I do differently if I trusted that God is who he says he is? If I trusted that he was with me? And if I trusted that he always keeps his promises? Try starting every morning uh, with that question this week. I think if we do that, that we'll start to find ourselves taking risks that we wouldn't have even uh, noticed were there, that God was inviting us into um, if we weren't paying attention like that. Faith gives us a new lens to look at the world through. It allows us to enter into God's rest. It empowers us to take risks, and it has the ability to carry us through all of the ups and downs and twists and turns of our lives with peace and with purpose. It's one of the three main ingredients to living a good story. So as we close, I'm going to invite you to reflect on a couple of questions. And as we, get, uh, as we do that, I'm going to call Aaron and Brent up to the front. And uh, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about you know, what, how they've experienced faith and how faith has gotten worked out uh, in their lives. And so if you notice a little commotion, that's what that's going to be. But, but before we have that conversation, I'm just going to invite you to reflect on what this looks like in your own life. So first, uh, just center yourself in God's presence. Just let yourself be reminded that he's here, that he's with us, he's with you. And just asking God for his guidance in this, reflect on this question. In what area of your life is God uh, inviting you to experience rest as you trust in him? In what area of your life is God calling you into his 
rest. And now in what area of your life is God calling you to take a risk as you step out and trust in him? In what area of your life is God calling you to take a risk? God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you, God, that we can trust you. That again and again throughout history, you've proven it, God, that you are with us. God, that you are who you revealed yourself to be in Christ and that you always keep your promises. God, I pray that we would be people who don't just talk about faith in the abstract, but that really let it impact our lives to the core, let it shape who we are, and that we would live our lives empowered by our trust in you our dependence on your spirit so that we can show the world who you are and just spread your good news everywhere we go. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, just like that, we've got uh, Brent and Aaron up here. And uh, Brent and Aaron are on our elders board. Actually, uh, Brent is no longer technically on our board. He's Served six years, which means that he gets the boot automatically. That's the longest term you can serve here at Evergreen. But he has stayed on as our secretary, and so he's still around and giving his insights, which is, is great. Brent, anything you want to share about yourself? <laughs> it's good to be a secretary. It's good to be a secretary. <laughs> and we, uh, we, as the rest of the leadership team, also feel that it's good that you're the secretary. <laughs> All right, and this is Aaron. Uh, Aaron is on our board. He also does a great deal of work around the church, just taking care of the facility, and he's really good at making things suck because he just fixed my vacuum last week. I've been working on that joke all week. <laughs> uh, yeah, Aaron, anything you want to say about yourself? It doesn't seem like it's on. Do you want to just borrow Brent's? Yeah. Sure. Um, it's okay. No, um, just I'm thankful that Brent decided to stay on as secretary and help us <laughs> on the board. Um, but, uh, yeah. Aaron's a, a pilot with WestJet. I don't think I said that, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That too, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, first thing, first question I want to throw out to you guys is just what is faith? How would you define faith? Um, I would define it as trusting God in every circumstance that we face in life, whether it's difficult, easy, or hard to understand. Yes. <laughs> it's a hard question to answer when I just spent half an hour talking about what faith is. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for not arguing. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right, so uh, what has faith looked like in your life over the course of the past season? Maybe thinking of COVID or just, you know, whatever comes to mind for you when you think of just the past season. How has faith been showing up and carrying you through in your own life? Uh, well, for me, just uh, trusting that God uh, has all things in control, from the little things in life to driving to work every day. Uh, it's an hour and a half drive to Pearson, so 
long drive, um, or the bigger things in, in life, like teaching my kids to be followers of Jesus in this crazy, crazy world. Mm-hmm. Um, Becky and I, as parents, can only do so much, and then we got to leave the rest to God. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Um, also, it, you know, faith can be hard at times as well. Uh, in 2020, I uh, lost my mom to a, a quick and fast uh, fight with cancer. And uh, initially, you know, you have questions about, you know, why is God not answering prayer? You know, just not understanding that. Um, but I found uh, after going through that, that, uh, you know, my faith in God is what got me through that. Just knowing that he cares for us and loves us. And just knowing that uh, that she's with Jesus right now is, is yeah. he promises us. Yeah. Um, Well, the last couple of years have been, I've seen a lot of change. So just since in is it since 2020, um, I've changed jobs. My wife has changed jobs. We've moved. Um, her, we've assumed responsibility for the elder care of of a family member. Uh, we've had both of our kids move out. One, one got married last year. The one's getting married this year. It has been nonstop, one thing after another. It has been, uh, so faith has really been about where do you put your feet down? You know, when everything else is shifting, where do you, where do you take your stand? What can you stand upon? And uh, for a lot, in a lot of ways, what has really mattered for us has been, um, I don't know if you remember in, in, in uh, John 6, Jesus says the whole, unless you eat my, my body and drink my blood, and, you know, the people get grossed out. And, and a lot of them leave, and uh, and uh, uh, so Jesus turns to his disciples and says, "So what? You're going to leave too?" And they just look at him and say, "Where are we going to go?" Yeah. You have the words of eternal life. Yeah, that's powerful. And that's pretty much how how Julie and I have had to to look at things. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of that passage also, even just this week preparing this this message, being just thinking about the weariness and the, the struggles people are having with faith in some ways, I think. When you've experienced God's uh, care and provision, that even when life gets tough, that's where you end up, in that place where it's like, you know, I've got a lot of questions, I have doubt, but where else would I go, right? That's powerful. And so when you think about what it looks like for the church to live out of faith in the season ahead, what does that, what do you think that is going to look like? Well, I think uh, we just need to trust and have faith that God has a plan for us as a church um, and just to kind of do what he asks us to do. And, uh, you know, I believe that's showing love to, uh, Christ's love to those around us and, uh, yeah. Well, where I th- well, I'll say what I think, but I want to say what, what I what I hope, what kind of what I expect. Um, if there's one thing the last couple of years have, have taught, is that where God can lead you bears can sometimes bear very little resemblance to where you think you're going to go, right? Um, so, what what I hope for for us as a as a congregation is when some crazy idea or the goal is like no way we can't be going there and uh and that may mean taking on ministries to to people and to groups that we just don't that don't look anything like us uh whether that be socioeconomically or otherwise or uh, whether it be to try things 
um, uh, to, to try things that we wouldn't normally try. Like one of the one of the real strengths of Jeff's time with us was that he would try something and it would work. You keep it. If it didn't work, you'd let it go. But you still try because it's okay to try. One of the things that that I believe as a congregation we need to to practice when it comes to trusting God and believing that he, believing his promises is to not be afraid to make mistakes as a congregation. I can, I can guarantee you 100%, we will not be, if we make a mistake, we will not be the first congregation to do so in the history of the, of the Christian church. <laughs> right? And even, if we, and even if we were, who do we have? We have a God who loves and, and who loves and cares for us. We have, a, uh, we have Christ in, who is our advocate before the Father. We're okay. Even if we can't see it, we're okay. So try. <laughs> I have one more question I'm going to throw out to you. This is, I did not send this question in advance. This is a surprise. Yeah, <laughs> just thought of it. What ways do you think that uh, faith makes us as followers of Christ, like at Evergreen or in other contexts, uh, different? And what ways does faith present as being countercultural in the world that we're living in? Um, I think it's easier, easy for us if we do you know, understand what God has for us, that we can step out and you know maybe do something that looks totally different to someone who doesn't understand what god's promises are and um so maybe you know what we would do maybe looks crazy to someone who doesn't have that yeah. trust in god yeah um, but for us um you have that security yeah yeah that's good so I'm going to give you a little story, and I hope it, hope it answers the question. Okay. You'll, you'll have to tell we'll me. We'll see. So we have a neighbor, and uh, we have a neighbor across the street from us, and uh, he, he and he and I do not see eye to eye on very many things. Um, and he is and he is very very vocal, and uh, he really puts his opinions out there, and. Uh, we hadn't talked about it. And in this day and age, you know, we, we tend to think that being right is very important. Um, so he came across the street one day, and, he, and, and I was literally just packing up my car, and he, he just stood there, and he challenged me. And, and he said, you see what I got on my, uh, on, my, on my lawn? You see what I got on my car? What do you think? And he wasn't asking me, and, and it's, you know, in that way that says, I'm not asking you because I'm idly curious about what your opinion is. And I just looked at him, and, and, uh, and I had a, about a split second to pray about it. And, uh, it came to, and what came out of my mouth was, it really doesn't matter what I think. What matters is how I treat you and how you treat me because that will say a lot more about who we are and in, a much, in a much deeper and more fundamental way than anything I could say about what, about what your opinions are. And since then, he's come down with some medical conditions and things like that, and he feels comfortable and open to share them and uh, ask for assistance and, and whatnot. And, in terms of ministry to him in the name of Jesus, I feel that that um, 
the stance of just focusing on how we are to treat each other went a lot further than anything I could have said about what I was thinking. My, my, my treatment of him, not my opinions, mattered. Mm. That's good. I love that. I, love, I think that comes back to just faith giving us the ability to see the world through a different lens and kind of, as a result, act differently. And just, like, that's one of those situations where it seemed like such a small decision, right? But then it just has this, now you're able to interact and support him in a different way as he goes through struggles, and God can work through that. So it's amazing how those little acts of faith that just seem very ordinary can result in just big changes in our lives and in the lives of people around us. It's like uh, just this little image that comes to mind. I would, just making this up now, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Yeah. Uh, Jesus said that. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> give him credit. Anyway, so yeah, I think thanks so much, guys, for coming up and for sharing. I think it's really cool to be able to hear different voices and to just hear how other people are living this stuff out. And I want to encourage you in the week ahead to have some of these conversations yourself, you know, in your family, with your friends. Like, how is faith getting worked out in real ways in, in your lives? 